Electronic Specifier. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Electronic Specifier Insights. Today we will be talking to Jack Herring, founder of Jiva Materials, a sustainability startup company that has developed the world's first fully recyclable printed circuit board, or PCB. PCBs made up about 8% of the 50 million tonnes of electronic waste that was generated last year. 18 billion square metres of PCBs are manufactured every year containing large amounts of precious metals. Currently, the only method of recycling PCBs involves shredding them down and incinerating them in order to extract the precious metals from within. Therefore, Jiva Materials is raising awareness around the inefficient handling of e-waste and has developed a new material to offer a solution to combat this, the Soluboard. Patent pending, it is a flax-based product that is competitively priced, fully biodegradable and a non-toxic alternative. Jack, welcome to Electronic Specifier Insights. I think a good place to start would be to explain how you initially came up with the idea. Sure. So um, the whole concept span out of my time at the Royal College of Arts, uh, where I went to study my master's. Um, previously, I studied my undergrad in architecture at the University of Kent, and uh, it wasn't wasn't for me, so I went back to what my, my real interest was, which was product design. So my tutor at the RCA gave us a brief, which was to choose a waste stream to try and optimise. So I was becoming aware quite quickly that uh, e-waste is the fastest growing waste stream in the world. And I was seeing that personally just from the amount of uh, waste that I was producing and realising that it was getting a bit bit out of hands. And obviously within the waste or electronic waste uh, sector, the proportion of that comes from circuit boards or printed circuit boards, um, PCBs as they're better known. A lot of our products now are becoming smarter. They're now called, uh, so Mm -hmm. uh, these electronics are now finding their way into electrical waste streams. So you're getting these smart kettles and things which are designed to to connect to your your smart home and it's it's an increasing problem really so being a, a designer i decided to um, reinvent the circuit board from the bottom up and um, this all starts from the actual board itself or the printed circuit board substrate and that's currently made out of fiberglass and epoxy resin so they're uh, very very difficult to recycle materials so i was looking at alternatives for those direct replacements. So the first change that I wanted to make was looking at natural fibres instead of glass fibres. These are not only biodegradable, but they're also, uh, they also have a much lower carbon footprint, uh, which is becoming increasingly important nowadays. And the biggest part of my development process was the fact that I wanted to make it, make, make circuit boards uh, dissolvable in water. Um, so that was the, the Eureka moment actually came uh, while I was stud- uh, working on a Saturday job uh, while I was studying. So I worked in the embroidery industry where one very common piece of material that's used is um, a film which you lay on top of a, a piece of clothing before it's embroidered uh, under the machines. And then you can rinse that off underwater. Uh, so it's a water-soluble material. So I thought, uh, why can't I? combine this with these natural fibres that I've been looking to in some way to uh, to reinvent the the material. And that's when I came up with what the what Jeeva is now based uh, around, which is uh, called Soliboard. That was then taken to my tutors. I presented that um, as part of my final year project at the RCA, and uh, I was advised to file a patent, uh, write a patent and get that filed in time for the 
end of the year degree show, which was actually filed on the same day as that show opened. So if that patent didn't go through that same day, I wouldn't have any had anything to do with the company on. And so that was a, a, a very stressful time, but a very important yeah. time as well. Yeah. So, um, off the back of that, I was then invited to raise uh, some pre-seed investment through Innovation RCA, which is the Royal College of Arts um, incubator based in Battersea. So I was able to raise just over 50k about coming up to three years ago now, really. So that then allowed me to meet my co-founder, Jonathan Swanston. He's been very important to help grow the company and get the products to the point of commercialization, which we're approaching now. So um company was founded off the back of that investment in September 2017. We recently closed the seed investment round, uh, which was led by Sky Ocean Ventures, which is the uh, VC arm of Sky, the telecoms uh, company. So that was 750k we raised in that round, which has allowed us to grow the team even more and really speed up our, our route to market. We also were able to uh, secure uh, an Innovate UK grant um, at the end of last year as well. So that's a 30-month project, and that's, that's focusing on um, being able to make solid board within the UK and um, ironing out the supply chain and making sure that we can um, keep that green story throughout our whole supply chain and the product and looking at the way that it can be recycled at scale, uh, those sorts of challenges. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's sort of a rough recap of from the beginning up to where we are now. Sure. And, uh, you mentioned your uh, your co-founder there. What's his background? Uh, he's a biochemist. Uh, he's worked for um, lots of blue chip companies like uh, Shell, Evonik. But he's been very important in the process of actually reinventing or, or tweaking the formulation of Soliboard um, so that it can be as green as possible, stay in line with our company's green ethos. It's very important that we uh, look at the materials that we're putting into our product very carefully because we're we're trying to sell a fully biodegradable, non-toxic alternative to this this man-made glass fibre incumbent material. So it's important that there's no or very as as little impact on the immediate environment as possible, particularly after the recycling process when you've taken a batch of our circuit boards, um, dissolved them in hot water. You then need to think about how that wastewater is processed, what goes into the the material itself and whether there's any direct impact on the wastewater stream and other areas of that waste stream. So he's been very important. He's he's been able to bring an element of science to to support my element of design, really. So Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and you mentioned at the, the start of the call, the, the, rap, you know, the growth of technology and you know, products becoming smart and, and things like that. So how rapidly has the, has the problem of e-waste grown over, I guess, the last decade or so? As, uh, as, you know, as I say, you know, more products become smart and technology has, has grown so quickly. So has, you know, has, this, has this problem sort of spiked over the last decade or so? I would say so. Last year, 54 million tonnes of electronic waste was generated and it's, it's growing at a rate of two and a half million tonnes every year, which well outweighs um, any other waste stream that you can compare against. Uh, so it's, it's an increasing problem with this sort of uh, disposable lifestyle that a lot of us are using. Indeed, where, yeah. 
we might buy a, get a phone or, or, or tie ourselves into a contract for two years with a phone. We then renew our contract and you're left with an old phone and a new phone. Most people just leave the old phone in a drawer or similar products have similar sort of life cycles like that. But people don't really think about what, what, what has to happen at the end of life when they are eventually disposed of. I think the biggest problems come from just our, our decision not to repair things yeah. or a lot of the time it's more economical just to go out and buy a new product to replace a product which is usually perfectly fine. It's just one small part which is which needs to be replaced, but it's just impossible in, in the supply chain to actually get your hands on that on that one replacement part or get it repaired. So I think the supply chain is just as as much to blame for that increase in waste as anything else. Uh, a lot, only 17%, about 17% of all of the e-waste that's produced is actually collected or, or tracked from sort of collection to the recycling uh, process. Right. Um, okay. The rest of it's lost along the way, whether that be um, illegal exporting to developing countries, whether it's then processed by hand and sold back onto the black market or even people, everyone's to, to, not to blame, but everyone contributes to the fact that we think we're doing the right thing, taking our waste products to our local recycling centre. And then the most economic thing for councils to do is to pay a third party to dispose of these products. And throughout that process, you know, um, these, these things get lost at the same time. A lot of the precious metals and the value in these products gets lost as well. It's not just a, an impact on the environment that we have to think of. It's the, the actual value that we're losing throughout that process too. Indeed. There's a lot of precious metals, gold, silvers, uh, palladium is a very important um, element which is used in the electronics world as well. So there's actually a report which came out which was produced uh, by the UN. Called the, it's called the, uh, the Global E-Waste Monitor. Mm-hmm. So um, that revealed, I think it was... It was $10 billion worth of value, a potential market value of, of raw materials um, of 10, $10 billion US dollars could be recovered from e-waste, which is currently ending up in landfill or wow. other parts of that yeah. uh, recovery chain, which is currently lost. So yeah. there's a, a lot of value there, which uh, people, could, people can, can make the most of, but at the moment it's just wasted yeah absolutely on the on your website i, I was reading about the, the the site in in ghana presumably that's that's not an isolated location presumably there's there's locations of, of similar to similar to that ilk yeah. dotting up all over the world is there yeah definitely um it depends which part of the world you're looking at really a lot of um, sort of western europe usually exports to northern or west africa but a lot of the US's waste, for example, ends up in China or India or a lot of, a lot of places in Asia. I mean, Europe actually produces the most e-waste in terms of per person, uh, but it also has the best recovery rate uh, when you're comparing uh, to other parts of the world. Uh, the US and Asia are the biggest contributors to the actual waste uh, because a lot of it isn't recovered. Uh, and that's the biggest problem, really. I see. Sure, sure. And in terms of the material used in the Soluboard, I was reading it's it's a flax-based product. Now, am I right in thinking that that's the same material that goes into making rope? Well, linen is flax-based. 
Uh, uh-huh. So textiles usually use, if it's a linen-based textile, it will be made out of flax. Uh, I'm not sure about rope, but possibly, yeah, yarns, those sorts of products usually all come from that similar sort of, that same sort of family of products or plants. You've got flax, you've got jute, you've got hemp, they're all, uh, I think it's called bast products or bast fibers, uh, B-A-S-T. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're focusing on flax because it's uh, it's got very good mechanical properties and um, it's also very lightweight. So our product is able to benefit from a lot of carbon savings because we're using flax. It has a, a, a naturally uh, lower weight in terms of uh, per square meter when you're comparing to glass. So that therefore translates to carbon savings because you're allowed to you're able to ship more material in bulk for the same weight. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I understand. So, the does the manufacturing process differ in any way? You know, if you're if you're manufacturing a PCB using the soluble, does that does it differ in, 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 in when compared to a traditional manufacturing method? So, the production of the actual board itself is very similar to the way that traditional circuit board material is made, but we're using, as I mentioned before, fully biodegradable, non-toxic materials. The main target that we've set ourselves internally is making sure that our soluble is com- compatible with the existing PCB production processes. So once you've made the actual board, that is then usually uh, shipped to electronics manufacturers or PCB fabricators, um, and they will then put it through their standard fabrication process to, to produce the circuit boards. So we're, we're making an effort to design our material to make sure that it is compatible with those existing processes. I can't give away too much about how we actually make the material, but it is it's a laminate material, so it's layers of fibres combined with some polymer, which mm-hmm. is then pressed together under heat and pressure. And that's very similar to the way that existing materials are made. And as I mentioned, like the whole process, the design process, which I went through when I was studying, I wanted to keep it similar as possible because thinking in a business uh, mindset it will make most sense for us to license this technology out to producers of the existing material so it can be made in those same factories just switching out ingredients um, as a like-for-like alternative i see yeah sure sure Uh, and likewise how much easier does the recycling of the precious materials um, make it when a a pcb is manufactured with a soluble as opposed as opposed to the traditional process well, the existing process of recycling involves uh, incineration and shredding. So they usually take big container loads of circuit boards, shred them down into a fine dust, and then the, the, the dust which comes from the actual board itself, which is usually the glass fibre and epoxy, is burnt and incinerated away. So you're then left with the, the precious metals in, the, in a very fine dust. Because our material allows you to remove the components in our whole form without having to shred the whole board down. Um, there's a lot less wastage in that recycling process. So it's uh, not only is it a much cleaner process because you're avoiding those incineration processes and the the carcinogens and the, all of the nasty stuff that comes along with that, you're also um, able to benefit in an economic way uh, because you're you're able to remove these components in their whole form without losing any of this waste to the burning process. So we're still working out the actual um, numbers there, but uh, on paper, uh, on our side, it's it's increasingly uh, better. 
in terms of the process. We're working on the recycling process uh, separately, but uh, as I'm sure you can appreciate, we're trying to get a product out onto the market first and then uh, throughout the lifetime of that product, we're trying to, we will then optimize that recycling process. But uh, early, early numbers suggest that it's significantly better in terms of the recovery rate. Sure, sure. And how aware and how switched on is the electrical industry as a, as a whole with regards to the e-waste problem? And, and as such, what's kind of the what's their reaction been to uh, you know a product like Soluble coming onto the market? We've had a lot of interest from a lot of different potential customers in in different spaces. I mean, the, the circuit board industry is immense. Um, so we're just trying to focus on domestic appliances and white goods, um, those sorts of products. LED lighting is also a big problem and there's been a lot of lobbying in that space recently in terms of thinking how, how that's disposed of in uh, commercial spaces. Uh, so hotels, if someone refits a whole hotel, they usually just will strip all of the LED lighting out and it ends up in the skip. So uh, they need to, we need to completely rethink this, um, this waste stream and the supply chain. So but I think it is now getting a lot more publicity in terms of a, on, a, on a government scale. There's actually an inquiry going on at the moment within the UK Parliament, uh, which is being held by the Environmental Audit Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all about trying to implement a circular economy for electronic goods and those, those, sorts, of, those sorts of products. I think that's partly because of Brexit. The government's aware that um, a big directive called the, the WE directive, so that's mm-hmm. W-E-E-E, which is Waste Electrical and Electronic Equipment, that is an EU directive. So they're trying to come up with uh, a viable way of having a, a UK-based directive or set of rules or laws uh, which will allow us to keep up with the, the targets that's been set um, by that EU alternative. So it's definitely a problem which is becoming more and more publicised. What I would really like to see happen is people become as aware of the e-waste issue as they have become aware of the the plastic issue in the past few years because it is actually a a bigger problem. It's just hidden away in in the the insides of our product so Mm. people don't see see the actual problem in person. You can make a direct choice to, to not buy a plastic bag but you don't really have a choice of what goes in into your technology. So it's, it's very difficult to have a direct impact if you're just a, a consumer. Indeed. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, that was leads me on to um, moving forward, what are, the, what are the key challenges for you guys operating in a sector like like electronics? Is it, is it sort of just purely around raising awareness around the issue or is it, does it run sort of deeper than that? I mean, we have lots of technical hurdles because we're trying to do something completely novel and new which hasn't been done before but uh, one thing I've always been quite keen about is enforcing the lobbying of of these directives and because fundamentally it's down to the collection of these products and how they're handled at scale which is going to help us improve or tackle the problem which is e-waste at the moment so the UK is actually one of the worst in Europe in terms of the illegal exporting of, of waste abroad. So I heard one interesting stat, which was that I think it's uh, seven out of ten compressors on fridges. So you know the 
the compressors with the, the harmful refrigerant gases in, in on the back of a, a refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. Um, only three of those ten are actually actually effectively reach the, the recycling uh, centre. They're usually removed or cut for by waste metal collectors. So a huge amount of gases and harmful carbons, uh, gases similar to carbon, are actually released in the, into the UK or the London atmosphere every year. So. I would say that the, the biggest issue is going to be the whole reformation of that supply chain and the, the circular economy and the take-back schemes which need to be implemented by, by these electronics and electrical equipment manufacturers. Indeed, indeed. And sort of looking at a roadmap going ahead, I mean, are you guys looking at a, at a UK, you know, um, rolling out in the UK first and then sort of scaling up from there or how, how are you sort of taking it to market going forward? UK and Europe, I would say, make up the majority of our, our interest that we're getting at the moment. Our roadmap is constantly changing depending on the the types of uh, potential customers that are approaching us. We, we've also got some very big American companies which have found us as well. So it, it's going to be a global scale, really. Uh, but I would say initially we were always targeting Europe as our first area to tackle because the infrastructure of take-back schemes and that circular economy is, is a lot better in this part of the world in order for companies to actually benefit as much as possible from our technology there needs to be some sort of take-back scheme in place so one one good example is with Sky um, Ocean Ventures they've introduced us to Sky's uh, technical uh, team so we're now working with their engineers to potentially integrate our material into their supply chain um, and with Sky products um, when you sign up for a contract you'll get your uh, satellite box sent out to you you don't actually own that box that's taken back by Sky at the end of the contract where it's then dismantled and um, each part of the product is then sent away to its own individual uh, waste handling scheme so at that point our solid board PCV could be removed from a product like that and it could then be recycled in the optimal way. So I think although we're coming up with this completely novel material and technology, we need to have that that handling in place to, to fully benefit from the, the savings, uh, the carbon savings and the waste reduction uh, that our material would then allow companies like Sky to benefit from. Sure, I see. I see. Um, and are you very much unique in the market, or is there any is, is there any other company out there trying to do a similar thing? As far as we know, we're the only we're the world's first manufacturer of a fully recyclable PCB substrate. There's alternatives for different recycling processes of the existing PCBs, but pretty much everyone that I've come across still involves that shredding process, which is where a lot of the the value is lost. So there's uh, people trying to separate. Uh, the shredded metal from the shredded glass fiber using water. It's a, a good solution, uh, short term, but I think we need to completely redesign the, the material or that, that area of the supply chain from the bottom up, really. Sure, sure. And with a sort of a, an eye on the, the, the current situation, how, have you guys managed to, uh, you know, tackle the, the whole COVID issue? Were you, were you able to, you know, carry on with your, with your plans regardless, or were you impacted at all by, by you know, so what's going on in the rest of the world? 
if anything, we've been busier, to be honest. Um, oh, right. I think we've, the fact that we were able to be, to reach the last 25 of the Postcode Lottery's Green Challenge sent a lot of digital interest our way. We've had a lot of potential customers find out about us uh, just purely because I guess people have been working from home. They're more, uh, they have more time in front of their laptops and they're just browsing a bit more. So, uh, we're doing that that general startup thing of applying for competitions, uh, grants. Sky has been great in terms of generating traction for us as well. I think that was the big the big milestone. A lot more interest was was sent our way off the back of them because it's great having a main a company of that size supporting you. So um, I think that was the biggest sort of, uh, breaking moment for 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 us for the past year. And we were very lucky the fact that that even that that happened pretty much a month and a half before the whole COVID thing hit and the whole lockdown started. So uh, oh, we've been very good at, at working remotely, and um, the rest of the team are, are very used to it anyway. So uh, not too much has changed for us really. Excellent, excellent. And just looking ahead to the next, you know, twelve months or so, what what's the next big milestones on the horizon for you guys? Well, we, we need to get a product out onto the market, um, secure some some contracts with uh, with customers. Um, at the moment, we're working with quite a number of potential customers, looking at their design portfolios, getting our hands on some of their designs, and, and, and making it sort of direct alternatives to their existing products using our product. Um, so, what we need to do is put those products through testing, get some contracts in place and help to, to rethink their whole supply chain if, they, if we're allowed to have that influence on that. I would also say that we, we need to make sure that our material is fully specified for the market because it's a, a very specific product that we're manufacturing and there's very specific laws and regulations that we need to put our material uh, through this very comprehensive set of tests that we need to be involved in and make sure that we uh, we have a lot of data to support the ambitious claims that we're making. So um, mm. as I mentioned, we were able to grow the team. We were able to bring um, Steve uh, Curtis. He's not on the website, but on the, the LinkedIn Jiva page, you can you can see um, a couple of the new guys that we brought on board. Uh, so you've got a lot of experience, and I think experience in the PCB industry is going to be key uh, to making sure we can get through that process. Um, we're able to bring people on board who face similar hurdles to what we're facing. So I, I think that's going to be very important. Sure, sure. Thank you, Jack, for joining us today. If any of our listeners have any follow-up questions on Jiva Materials, then please drop us a line uh, at uh, joe.bush at electronicspecifier.com and we will get them answered for you. In the meantime, stay safe and please look out for the next instalment of Electronic Specifier Insights podcast. Electronic Specifier.